Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Grace for This City podcast. I'm Justin. Hey, we're helping you turn your cities upside down. How are we doing that? We're giving you scriptural motivation and strategies to help you, my friend, get out there and get some stuff done for King Jesus. And I'm excited. I'm excited for you and what's happening in the world today. Hallelujah. The gospel message of Jesus as the Savior is getting out there. Hallelujah. People are getting born again. They're getting born again all over the place. And uh, you and I want to be a part of that. Hallelujah. I'm thinking of what Paul said to Timothy once. He said, do the work of an evangelist. I'm telling you, evangelism is fun. Hallelujah. I used to kind of have a negative attitude about that. I have no idea why. Probably uh, a strategy of deception against me. But anyways, uh, you know, when you think about people just having that, that wake up, Jesus, and then they're born again. You know, the Bible says that their spirit is born again. Like, that is a supernatural phenomenon that somebody would come to the knowledge of Jesus and believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, and then they are transformed into a new creation in Christ, part of the family now. Oh, love it. So get out there, friends, and let's get some people born again. Hallelujah. Let's help. Let's help people be rescued. Oh, thank you, Lord, for it. Well, again, thank you for joining us. Hey, I want to promote something here. You know, we started making CDs of the podcast. That's right, CDs. Um, I'm running into people that don't even know what a CD is. (laughs) That's how old school we are. It's a compact disc. You put it in a little slot in a player, and it plays it. Well, uh, we get requests uh, for these because not everybody has all the digital tools and all fancy like that. And uh, so if you, my friend are one of those, or you know somebody that you're thinking, man, they would be really blessed, but I think they need a CD. Then we got you covered here. I've got a CD right here of episode 117. This was called Renewed in the Spirit of the Mind. Excellent uh, podcast there. And you know what? It'd be our honor just to mail this to them uh, at no charge. Uh, We just want to get the word out. Now, here's the caveat. You still want to send out CDs to people that are just going to throw it in the trash. If you think that they would be blessed by it, then we want to get it to them. Hallelujah. Again, it'd be our honor to do that. Reach out to us. Send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv or call us 870-741-9099. Let us know if we could uh, be of assistance in that area. Okay. Let's see. We're in the new year, friends, and uh, excited to start season four with you. We've got great things in store for the podcast coming up this year, and so we're just thrilled. And I want to thank you in advance for running with us, for believing in us, for praying for us, for partnering with us, supporting us in any way. Thank you so much, friends, and uh, here's to the future. Hallelujah. Let's go. Let's get it done. Let's turn some cities in the nations upside down. Believe with me that this podcast will get further into the nations. We're already in the nations. Uh, it's been a while since I've looked, but we're, we're out there, and let's believe that doors would be opened, uh, avenues would be open for the podcast, for the word of the Lord. Who cares about the podcast? We, we, we want the word of the Lord to get where it needs to go. Hallelujah. All right, let's jump into this today. If you have a Bible, uh, you know, if you have a 
literal Bible. That's that's always good, friends. Don't get rid of all your paper Bibles. You need that. There's something about holding it at times. There's something about just flipping through the pages. Something about sitting down and reading an actual Bible. But if you got your Bibles on your phones, tablets, whatever, let's go to John chapter five, verse seven. John five seven, and um, I was ministering on this thought last night, and uh, just want to kind of pick up on some themes here uh, that we've kind of been in a little bit. Uh, we might shift a little bit from you know cautioning about drifting. If you've been listening to the last three episodes. We finished out last year and started this year, which is a caution of the drift. Uh, you know, the creep, you know, things creeping in. Are you creeping off course? And we really boiled it down to what causes that. And really, it's the love of the world. It's the love of the world. You know, any false whatever uh, probably didn't start out going, I'm going to work for Satan and I'm going to mess all these people's lives up. Probably didn't start there. But there was something on the inside where they just loved too much of the world. They had a little too much um, drawn away by the desires of the flesh. And the Bible talks about all these false whatevers, covetousness, covetousness, uh, the love of things, uh, too much affection for natural things. You and I need to just be aware of that. Our ultimate commission is to die to self, friends. It's no longer I who live. If you're born again, it's no longer you who living but Christ in us, and we're to crucify this flesh of ours daily. I'm telling you, if you don't, it's going to get you off. And uh, it'll get you off in whatever you're doing. It'll just start to justify, you know, even in the church, you know, even in your Christian walk, just start justifying things. I'm telling you, don't invite the flesh in for counsel. It'll just get you off course. And I want to pick up on this thought where even Peter was writing to us, and he said, look, listen, be aware uh, he was warning his people, we'll actually get to the scriptures here, but he said, I'm fixing to depart and I've got something for you. And so there's a message here that we want to look at where, uh, as Peter, I think I said, Paul, I meant Peter. Peter said, I want to leave you with some counsel. It's going to help you between now. And in effect, we see each other again in heaven. Hallelujah. So we're going to look at that. But first, first John five, seven. So there are three witnesses in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three witnesses on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. They are in unison. Their testimony coincides. You know, there's something very, very, very important that we want to understand right here is that number one, the Bible the written word does not contradict itself. And um, there's something supernatural about the language that God um, gave to us. And even in the Hebrew language, now you and I speak English, but even in the Hebrew language, there's something supernatural about that language. And God fully intended that there would be something embedded in the language. Now, where you and I are at in time, you know, we're, what, 5,000-something years. The Bible gives us a six-day workweek overview and then a seventh-day rest. That's what we call the millennial period of time. It is a 1,000-year period of time. The Bible gives us a six-day workweek, 6,000 years roughly, um, 120 Jubilee cycles, 6,000 years. 
I mean, there's several ways. There's, I, I, I don't know, there's a dozen or more ways that the Bible gives us revelation knowledge on the work week. And uh, some people call it Adam's lease. Six days we work, seventh day we rest. We're coming to the end of this 6,000-year period, and God did something in the language that he gave us and uh, the original language. And in that, he embedded something that he foresaw that you and I would need all the way up in this time of, uh, uh, you know, at this part of the timeline. You know, time counts down. Time has everything to do with judgment. There was a timelessness. This is what they call eternity past. There was no time. But when man, um, you know, uh, uh, not uh, man, but at the foundations of the world, that word foundations is the uh, Greek word katabuli, it's the overthrow. There was the world that was. Peter talks about that. And when God redid that, which began the six days of creation, the world was tohu vabohu. He didn't create it that way. He recreated it. That's when time was instituted right there in the very beginnings of what you and I understand as the world as we know it, the, the cosmos, the world as arranged or ordered at that moment right there in the six days of creation. That's where time began. Time is on a countdown. It has everything to do with judgment. And uh, so when God instituted this language for us, he knew that at this point in the timeline, we would have to have something to rely on to keep everything straight, that we would understand what God has done and said throughout this time so that we would be able to look forward to what his plans are. Everything, 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 everything. Oh, it's amazing when you think about it. We are not out here just trying to fend for ourselves. In the Bible, in the language, it's miraculous. He is the Aleph and the Tav. Remember, that's what he revealed to John when John had this revelation experience, when he was caught up in the spirit. One, one of the first things the Lord said was, I am the beginning and the end. I'm the Aleph and the Tav. And that was a reference back to Genesis 1-1. Right there, right there, John knew that what the Lord was showing him was just going to be uh, another part of the fulfillment of the things that had been spoken from the beginning of time that we have in record. Again, I want you to know that there's uh, uh, some pushback on the validity of the scriptures, and there's a diminishment of its place as an arbiter, as counsel. Uh, and I want you to know, starting out, that we need to refresh our trust in the written word. In fact, let me give you this, this passage right here, Romans 16, 26 is one of the, the places, several places throughout the Bible where we're called back to understand that that which is written, God's using that which is written. Yes, we have Holy Spirit, but he's using that which is written to help you and I that are down in the timeline, that the things that he said back here, he's going to fulfill certain things. Those things are written down. And this language was created so that we could capture God's plans and have it as an anchor to us. Hallelujah. The word, Romans 16, 26, he says, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures, so the Greek word is graphe, it's the writings, by the writings made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. That verse right there is a mouthful, but one thing it's drawing our attention to is that which was written. You know, even Jesus, when he was... Um, encountering Satan 
he said as a response to the deceiver, it is written. So we have that written word. It's miraculous what you and I have, friends. Absolutely miraculous what you and I have. And we do not need to forget that all these spiritual encounters, all these spiritual whatevers, any prophet, any prophet, I believe in the prophetic office. I believe in the prophetic unction, okay? There is way less people actually functioning in the office of a prophet than probably what's being marketed. But a lot of us are prophetic in nature. We have prophetic leanings. The Bible says desire that you may prophesy. But when you and I are getting these, quote, inspirational ideas and concepts, we have the word to go back to as an anchor. We have the word to go back to because no prophecy is going to contradict the word. This is what he's saying in 1 John. They're in agreement. Anything the Holy Spirit is saying is in agreement with what he's already said. He's not contradicting himself. There's a harmony of thought. There is a, um, a, uh, a, a building upon this plan that God has had from the beginning of time to the end of time as you and I know it. There is one plan, and all prophetic unction, all apostolic work is working in synchrony with what he already prophesied. And I'm going to show you that in Peter. Again, that would mean that any apostolic function today, any apostles that have some other blueprint than what's already been revealed is a false apostle. Any prophet that has a prophetic word that would contradict anything that's already been established as the precedent, well, that's a false prophet. And the... Uh, the reality is that you can have people that prophesy into their own thing. You know, if you go back into the Old Testament, there, were, there was a story about this young prophet named Micaiah. And uh, you, you know, it would behoove you, if you're prophetic in any way, to go back and study that story of Micaiah. And here's what's, in, here's what's interesting. This king had a company of prophets, and 400 of them had one similar prophecy. But here comes Micaiah. He's the only dude that had a different, quote-unquote, word of the Lord. But here's, here's the thing. He actually had the word of the Lord. Now, I don't want to draw any hard, hard, hard lines here, but what is an implication? The implication is you can have a whole bunch of people that prophesy into the very thing that they want to happen, and they can call it prophecy. Well, it's what we really want. And you can add all, all kinds of scriptures. My wife and I were talking about this, how even in our, in our own circles, even in our own camp, if, if you will, we were evaluating certain times where the um, unction seemed to just play into the very thing that we wanted to have happen anyways. Right there is where you have to be really honest with yourself and evaluate, was that the spirit of the Lord? Or was it just our own energy, our own excitement, and we just call it prophecy? Okay, now I don't want to get negative here. I don't want to get in the ditch and being negative. Uh, but the series, my the series of podcasts that we've done o- o- over the last several weeks, and even what we're doing here at the head of the year at our own church, is we're just examining ourselves. We're examining ourselves. We're locating where is Christ in us. And sometimes the soul can masquerade as spiritual. Sometimes the flesh wants to masquerade as spiritual, but we have to back up at some point and say, wait a second, we need to divide this thing here. And the word is the only thing the Bible says that can divide between spirit and soul, joint and marrow. The word is what cuts down to really what is of the spirit and what is not. 
And there's these moments that we just need to reflect and say, all right, hey, I'm just examining myself. I'm testing, improving. I want to make sure that I'm demonstrating the fruits of my faith as written, not as I want it to be. See, that's part of that drift. I mean, the reality is you can have whole whole movements or organizations drift or creep off course, and you can have 400 prophets all prophesying that drift. But then you can have like little old Micaiah, and he says, wait a second, I don't think that's the word of the Lord. Well, somebody's hearing the word of the Lord. Uh, how do we determine what the word of the Lord is? We have the written plan that has spanned the, the age, and it's not going to violate what, is, what he said is going to happen. Everything fits within the parameters of that which has been prophesied. Now, I'm not saying there's no prophecy within that prophecy, but I'm saying, like, this is where we would judge ourselves. Hey, am I drifting off course? Like, you can have all these great ideas, all these movements. You, you, you can have these mini movements, you know, worship movements, prayer movements, this and that, and this and that. And you can have all these, quote, prophecies that prop that thing up. The question is, is that what the Lord is saying? And the only way to reflect on that is to get back to the Word and to say, whoa, okay, I may be off. And that's okay. I'm going to make a course correction. I'm going to make an adjustment and uh, get back on track. Hallelujah. I mean, we've heard these kinds of, kinds of stories, you know, where people come in and they will prophesy or prophesy what people want to hear. Listen, the, the, the temptation, I've done it. I, I mean, I'm ashamed to admit it. But as I've reflected on certain things, I've stood in front of people, and I'm telling you, the soul can be very intimidating. Somebody can have such a strong desire, uh, a lust, really. I'm not saying sexual. Not all lust is sexual. It can include that. But I'm saying their flesh can desire something. And you can step in front of them. And I'm telling you, familiar spirits, you know, especially if you're given to spiritual realities, you can step in front of somebody and I'm telling you, you can just prophesy every strong craving. Like you can pick up on that lust and just sit there and just tell them what they want to hear. And, and then you step back and go, what did I just do? Well, you fell into that vortex, if, it, <laughs> if you will, of such a strong desire. And, uh, you know, if you look at like Balaam, people have gotten really good at just prophesying what you want to hear. I mean, it's kind of like a, I don't, I wouldn't call it a talent, but I would say it's, um, it's developed. Uh, you can pick up on that. It's like, you can read the, you just, I don't, I don't even know how, how to explain. I don't want to say stuff that sound weirdo here, but it's like, you can pick up on that energy. And if you're a weak prophet, if you're weak in this function, if you fear man more than God, then it's easy, friends. I'm just saying it's easy to sit there and just prophesy what the whole group wants to hear because uh, you're picking up on that. It's, it's like a, it's, it's an energy in the room, and you can have a whole bunch of people who want to hear something. And I'm not saying they're all malicious, but you can get somebody up in there weak and just rattle off what everybody wants to hear, and we all clap and celebrate and plan and start a movement and create a website because, well, you know, 25 prophets said so. Well, that's what happened with Balaam. It, the Bible calls it the error of Balaam. And he had a little chink, right? He had a little too much uh, love of the world. And that little 
chink, that little gap where he loved the things of the world more than he loved God is what exploited that gift and began to prophesy things that weren't even true and even getting paid to do it. You know what I mean? People are coming in. There's, there's a lot of pressure on itinerant ministries because, you know, you get into a place and, I mean, what if the word of the Lord said to say this? And, I mean, it's very tempting not to say it because, well, how many people would that upset? Or this isn't what they're expecting. Well, are people expecting an encounter with God? Or do they just want you to come and pacify them wherever they're at? Reinforce their own delusions. This is the question. God, the Spirit of God doesn't contradict the Word of God. We have the Word to go back and say, how do we draw, you know, what do we have to expect? Well, he's written it down. Hallelujah. Again, nothing the Word says will contradict the Spirit. Nothing the Spirit says will contradict the Word. And so you can have a prophet, prophet lion. I, I, I think that old saying is, um, I, I think there's four words. I can only think of three, but it's uh, uh, the... Uh, prophesying, prophelying, prophedying. You can only maintain uh, in the name of the Lord. You can only maintain false, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying people are malicious, but I'm saying you can only maintain a drift, a creep for so long. And at some point you begin to open up the door for the enemy to come in and cause you a lot of problems. And this is where that saying came from, prophesying, prophesying, prophesying. People have opened the door. If you've ever studied William Brandon's story, uh, he was a phenomenal minister, but he got off. And uh, the word of the Lord came to him and said that his, his error opened the door to the enemy and, uh, and that that enemy was going to take his life out. Uh, I don't think he lost his salvation, but his life was cut short. You say, ooh, no, 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 I don't believe that. Well, then, you know, again, what are we drawing our theology from if it's not from the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about, we're not even talking about a minister. James 3.1 says teachers are held to a higher standard. There's a higher judgment for somebody that stands in an office and says, I'm a teacher, you know, I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle. Well, then you embrace the judgment associated with being false. And on a low level here, just in our interpersonal dealings with uh, members of the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us, like if you take the communion elements, you're willingly drinking the judgment associated if you violate the very thing you claim to be yielded to. In particular, we're, we're talking about love of the brethren, this community among brethren, having no strife, no contentions, no divisions, working out your problems, loving one another, preferring one another, doing good unto those who are in the household of faith. John told us that one way we know we're born again is we have love for the brethren. So in 1 Corinthians 11, he said some are sick, weak, and dying. Sick, weak, and dying. That's right, dying. Not losing their eternal salvation necessarily. That's, I, I don't think that is, I don't think you can derive that from that. But he's saying your life was cut short. Why? Because you you brought in the judgment that was associated because you said, I'm drinking of the, of the, uh, of, of the blood and I'm partaking of the body of Christ, meaning uh, I'm recognizing that the body of Christ is many members here. 
And if I take these communion elements, I'm accepting the reality if I violate that. And he's saying, because you partook unworthily, sickness is coming on you. Weakness is coming on you. And premature death has come in on you. I don't think Jesus is doing that, but it's making it very clear that the error of our way opened the door to the enemy. Can you, like, how is that multiplied or even expanded? Somebody who comes into says, like, hey, I'm in the office of such and such. Like, I'm in the office of a pastor. Uh, and then you're held to a higher standard. And so you are agreeing, even if ignorantly, you're agreeing to the, um, the accountability that's associated or the responsibility associated with claiming the position that, that you are claiming. Somebody comes in and says, hey, I'm speaking in the name of the Lord. I'm a prophet. But you're prophet lying? Uh, you may be prophet dying. You know what I'm saying? Like you are either you're ignorant or, or woefully, you know, blinded here to the error of your ways. And see, that's what I'm saying. Covetousness has a way of doing that. Covetousness will deceive you. That's why John said, make sure you don't love the world. Don't love the world. There's going to be all kinds of temptations, money, clothes, fame, position, authority. You know, Sister Gwen Shaw, I don't don't know if you're familiar with Gwen Shaw. She's gone on to be with the Lord, but she had a tremendous global ministry, did massive uh, uh, missionary and evangelistic work in China and other places all over the world. And, uh, but she had a prophetic word once and it was a caution. And here, and I, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just going to share with you the, the basic thought. There were several elements to it, but here was one of the thoughts. It was like some people have a vision for revival, but actually what they have a vision for is authority and control, prestige, fame, and authority and control over men's souls. Like the word of the Lord will cut deep to keep you out of error. And we constantly examining ourselves against the word. Here's the standard. The word is the standard. Christ is the standard. Humility, right? Uh, Submission. Making sure that we are uh, not being drawn by the lure of authority, fame, prestige, money. These are all temptations that get people off into error. Balaam. I'm telling you, Balaam, he got off. He was a prophet that got off. Because he started um, seeing the money. He started seeing the money a little more. I mean, just even in our day, I'm thinking of several people that spoke out against this. Cautioning. Uh, cautioning. Just, 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 just cautioning. I don't care who you are. You're a pastor. You're an apostle. You're a prophet. You're an evangelist. You're a teacher. Cautioning. Um, you know, Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give. We start charging, you know what I mean? In uh, particularly in the prophetic area, uh, you know, give me $50 and I'll prophesy to you. Wow, I mean, you know, I know some really strong prophetic people, and they get asked all the time, hey, you know, pray for me. Give me a word. What's the Lord saying to me? And a lot of their response is, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. What, do I just make it up on the spot? Like, I'm not a vending machine for prophetic words here. You know what I mean? Like, the actual prophetic unction is an extreme yieldedness to the Spirit of the Lord. A true prophet uh, really only says what the Lord is saying. I mean, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And uh, we're not just coming up with our own stuff here. You know what I mean? 
We don't sit back and just like, you know what I mean? We're not premeditating prophecies like a comedian premeditates jokes, right? We're not practicing these things behind the scenes. And uh, so this is just caution. We don't love the world, but we have the word. And if we get away from the word as a judge, we would judge everything by the word. Nothing is going to disagree with the word. I don't care who the prophet is. It's not going to disagree with the word. You can prophesy all kinds of things. You can prophesy whatever you want. Uh, you can make it up on the spot. Uh, you can be very sincere uh, uh, about it. You can actually believe. See, that's the thing in Micaiah's story, the 400 prophets, they really believed the word of the Lord, but it wasn't the word of the Lord. You know, and by the time you get to like the 25th prophet, you know, I'm thinking there's 400 of them. You know, I'm just putting myself in this situation because I've been in these situations where it's like, well, I must be wrong because everyone else thinks this. Okay. Um, you know, by the time you get like to the 10th prophet or the 25th prophet or the 50th prophet or the third, 300, you know, 300, uh, three, 301, three, 310, uh, come on, 325, 375, 399, the 400th prophet all have the same word. And then here comes Micaiah and he's the one that actually has the word of the Lord. I mean, take the principle from that and apply it to anything else because you got all kinds of teachers out here like bible people right bible people and they're saying things and then there's another guy on tv and he's saying the same thing too and then well hey this guy and he's saying he's preaching the same stuff and and sometimes in the minds of people it's like well as long as everybody agrees it must be the lord <laughs> not necessarily what's this how, how would you how would you navigate that kind of stuff? Got to go back to the word. What's, what's, what's the word say? I had somebody tell me the other day that there's some very prominent uh, theological seminaries that don't teach out of the book of Romans at all. <laughs> and that reminded me of a story of another minister that I know that uh, has his stuff on pretty much everywhere. And he was saying that there were several radio stations that wouldn't air his material unless he signed a contract explicitly say, stating that none of his content was derived from Romans chapter one. Like he had to sign. I don't think he went on those radio stations as it turned out because he couldn't, he couldn't in good conscience sign a contract saying none of my material will be preached from Romans chapter one. What about all these seminaries that are saying, skip over Romans, like skip over Romans. And then you wonder why people uh, are in such mass confusion. You wonder why there's such a drift, there's such this slippery slope when it comes to what people are preaching. You go, wait a second. I'm not sure that's in the Bible because it's probably not. But they make, they justify, uh, you know, their sayings because, well, it makes sense over here or we derive this but the reason why you derive that is because you 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 didn't consider all these other passages that will harmonize together for the rightly divided reality. I'm looking for something here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I want to show you something here. This uh, quote that I came across the other day. Uh, let me get it. Let me get it. I'm trying to pull it up here real quick. Real time. Here we go. Where's it at? Uh, da, 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 right here. Boom. Listen to this. 
the least errors in theology always bear fruit. Listen, if you skip over, say, the book of Romans, uh, you're going to bear the fruit of skipping over Romans, right? If you never preach or teach out of Romans chapter 1, you're going to bear the fruit of never teaching out of Romans chapter 1. This guy, he said this, never does man take up an incorrect principle of interpreting Scripture without that principle entailing awkward consequences and coloring the whole tone of his religion. And we're seeing that right now. What I'm saying is the majority isn't always right. Like there's some situations and instances where in that council, right, uh, there is a wisdom. But you and I are living in, in the very days where good is being called evil and evil is being called good. And I'm like, where do, I, I'm, we're not talking about the world. We're, we're talking about people that at least associated with the church. You know, they had, they associated with Christ, uh, Jesus. You know what I mean? They use Jesus. They say Jesus. You know, I'm thinking of this particular uh, group. They use the King James Version of the Bible, but then they have another book. And this other book weighs heavy. And it's like, so people are saying, yeah, G- oh, we got G- yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, J-E-S-U-S. I mean, yeah, they're Jesus. That's, that's what they say. They, they, they claim Jesus. But then they have all this other supplement, supplemental stuff. Like, um, you know, they have the voice of their prophets. They have the voice of their apostle. They have their counsel, right? They have their this, their, these writings, you know, this over here. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. But then we have all this other stuff. And we're saying, no, no, no. The Part of the miracle of the Bible, friends, is that in the language, he intentionally crafted this language. You know, in particular, I'm talking about the Hebrew, the Hebrew language, friends. And because he knew Things were going to have to be written down, and he would bind himself to that which was revealed, spoken, and written. We have it all throughout the New New Testament. References back to the Word. That's the only sanity, friends. That's the only thing that's going to keep us straight. What is written? And you and I are wrestling with that. Some people don't. They tire out. They peter out. They get exhausted in the wrestle. They don't want to wrestle with the scriptures. Well, I'm telling you why. Because the scriptures are cutting you open, friends. The scriptures are dividing you. The scriptures are exposing you. The scriptures, friends, have an agency. That, it, that, that word, I'm not, I'm not just talking about this ink on paper, but I'm saying the preciousness of that which has been spoken by the Lord and has been written for us, he's using it. He's using it. Not one jot or tittle. See, that's a reference to, to what? The record of what God is doing. And you and I need that record, friends. You and I need that record. You and I were not alive when Hosea prophesied. You and I were not alive when Jeremiah prophesied. But we have what was written. And God's using that. He's using that as an anchor. And I'm telling you, there's a drift away from that which is written. I'm saying it's dangerous, man. I mean, it is, it is the danger that has plagued everybody. And then people say, well, you know, they didn't have the Bible in the New Testament. No, but they had the scriptures as written. And it was a guide. It was an anchor. It was an arbiter. It, it, it is what propelled and navigated them. That's, that's what I'm saying. Even when John 
had that revelation experience, that encounter with the things of the spirit was caught up and had all this spiritual reality, all this encounter. One, one of the first things he said, I am the Aleph and the Tav. It was a direct, I mean, immediately drew John's attention to Genesis. What the patriarch had written for record to keep us straight. Hallelujah. The Lord referred. He's done that. He's done it. I don't know how many times he's done it. In Peter, uh, over, over, oh, and Peter was even speaking to his own people, and he said, you had the writings of Paul. So what I'm saying is um, there's a drift, and you and I do not need, it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's like an alarm going off in my spirit, things I'm hearing. I'm just, I'm just hearing all these in- interesting perspectives uh, of how people are locating the word in their life. You know what I mean? And it's like some people are kind of shifting away from it. And again, I'm telling you why. It's because that word's cutting you open. That word is dividing. That word has an agency, and it's speaking to you, and it's saying, this isn't spirit. This is soul, soul. How many ministries are ministering out of the soul? How many prophets are prophesying out of the soul, and the soul masquerading as spiritual? I mean, how many pastors? I don't mean to pick on apostles and prophets, but how, how many pastors are pastoring out of the soul? How many evangelists are just going around out of the soul, drifting away from that word and and relationship, vibrant, real-time relationship with him. But see, he's do, God is doing something with the word as an anchor. And that's what makes our relationship with him actually so vibrant is because we've yielded to his protections in our life for the age in which you and I live in. This is just how it's working, friends. And the beef with that, the, the, the struggle with that is revealing the spirit of Antichrist that you and I are navigating in this very moment, all right? So in interpreting the Bible or looking at the Bible, we are uh, saying that there's a harmony of Scripture. Now, let's go to Second Peter. I want to show you this here, being uh, another, you know, another place in, in the Bible just cautioning us about um, the scriptures being precious to us. Like, you know, and I'm not talking about your favorite leather-bound ink on paper book, but I'm saying you look beyond that part of the naturalness of it, but that this word is a sure word. I mean, it's a sure word. Here he says in um, Second Peter Chapter 1, let's see here. Look at verse 12. He says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing shortly that I must put off my tent, just as Jesus showed me. He says, I am careful to ensure that you always have a reminder Okay, so he's about to, what he's saying is, I'm fixing to leave, but I'm going to give you something here that you're going to need, uh, some wisdom, some counsel, and it's going to come up. And in effect, he's saying, you're going to be thankful that I reminded you this, like my parting words here. I could tell you a lot of things, but this is something that you need to know after I go. And he says, um, verse 16, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables concerning the coming of Jesus, the, his parousia. Now, this is very important, friends, because he he had several key elements here. He says, 
And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, but this is in 2 Peter 1, 16, 17, 18, and 19. He says, something happened. He said, I was a personal witness to the transfiguration of Jesus. And in that transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared. And we heard the voice of the Heavenly Father speak out of heaven. And they watched as Jesus was transfigured. He took up on this glorious condition. And he said, we were there. We witnessed this. And as a result, in verse 19, he says, he says, I'm, I'm telling you, I was at that transfiguration. These things happened. Moses, Elijah appeared, the heavenly father spoke. We watched this whole thing transpire. And he says, because of that, verse 19, he says, I'm telling you everything that the prophets, and the Greek word here is the word prophetikos, and it's, it's, it has a various uh, usage, but we could say the definition of this is the writings of the prophets, that which came out of a prophet. He's saying, because I was there, I witnessed this transfiguration. I saw Moses and Elijah. We heard the voice of the Father speak. He said, I'm telling you, I came out of that moment, and he said, I'm more convinced about what was written concerning Jesus in the writings of the prophets, several translations. Let me, let me give you several translations here. The Amplified Bible says, we have the prophetic word made more certain. The Amplified Classic says, we have the prophetic word made firmer still. The Expanded Bible says, this makes us more sure about the message the prophets gave. The NIV says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. The New Living Translation says, because of that experience, Peter being at the transfiguration of Christ, because of that experience, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. God's Word Translation says, so we regard the words of the prophet as confirmed beyond all doubt. What is Peter saying here? He's given them this parting wisdom. Like, you know, you're your mom, your dad, your grandpa, your grandma, some mentor, a loved one, they're on their deathbed, say, what's the last thing? You know, what's their reflection on life? And Peter, in essence, he's writing to them these letters, and he's saying, hey, I'm fixing to go, uh, but I want to remind you of something. There's some very important um, instructions, counsel, as he's about to go on, and they're going to have to navigate without him in the flesh. And he's saying, everything the prophets wrote in the Old Testament, as you and I understand it, in the Old Testament. Of course, they didn't understand it quite like that, like you and I do. But he said everything that the prophets wrote about Jesus is absolutely true. And he goes on to say this. He says, should the day come and it get dark? Uh, I think, let me see, one translation reads it a little bit different here. Do I have the amplified of that? Uh, let's see. No, I don't. But um, So he's saying, as you navigate forward, and should the days get dark, he says, don't forget. And he implored us, He, I mean, he again drew our attention to the writings of the prophet again in chapter 3. But right here he's saying, in the prophet, he said, I'm telling you, I was there at the transfiguration. Everything the prophet said is true. I mean, Moses and Elijah, you know, at least you know, one reference to them being there is that uh, the uh, law and the prophets Every, every, everything's correct. Everything they said, everything they said, everything they said, everything they wrote. 
and the you know here they were all these prophets you know you're talking about Jeremiah Hosea Zechariah etc everything they wrote Malachi everything everything every everything we saw it it's all right everything they said is true and there's a harmony of thought there and he's saying should the day get dark don't forget that there's a guiding light in the writings in the right in the propheticos he said there's a light if you ever get out here uh 10 years 15 years 20 years you're not sure what's going on it's a little dark meaning you're a little unsettled on what uh, is to be happening he said it's all been foretold and if you need to illuminate yourself if you need to get a bearing on where you're at and what the timeline of events what these moeds these appointed times what they mean when they're going to happen he said there's a guiding light in the writings of the prophets. It doesn't mean that we don't have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. but And he wasn't diminishing Holy Spirit, but he was emphatically reminding them, don't forget what was written because you're going to need it. It is the Aleph and the Tav and everything in between. The Mem, the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Mem, Tav is the Hebrew word emet for truth. And it takes all from the beginning to the end, all of it as we have is a revelation of truth. And he's saying, you're going to need that. And he said, it's going to be a guide until the, verse 19, until the morning star himself rises. So they are foretelling uh, in the writings of the prophets, and we have some of the things in the New Testament as well, but uh, here's Peter, a New Testament apostle, drawing our attention back to the writings of, of the prophets. And he says, everything that they said will be a guide until the morning star himself rises. Now, it's very important because in verse 20, it starts out like this, in your heart, know this first. Now, so he's saying you need to settle something deep within you. Uh, let me see if I have that in a different translation. That's verse 20. Let's see, verse 19. Let's see. Right here. In your hearts, he said, first, understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of any personal, private, or special interpretation. For no prophecy ever originated because some man willed it to do so. It never came by human impulse. That statement right there, friends, hallelujah, has got to be a uh, basic uh, principle for judging prophecy. Like, hey, uh, did you make that up? <laughs> because then it's not prophecy. Prophecy doesn't come because we willed it. So prophecy, prophecy doesn't flow because we willed it. Now, prophecy is subject to the prophet, meaning you don't have to speak it but you can't originate it. Like you can shut it down. You don't have to say what the Lord prompts you to say, but you can shut it down. But you can surely say whatever you want to say and call it prophecy, but that doesn't make it so, right? And, uh, you know, I had somebody recently, they were, uh, well, not, it's been in the last couple of years, but had uh, uh, somebody say this, that, Prophecy, and they were wrestling with, with this, but I, I'm pretty sure they've gone a different direction. 
But because of their uh, so-called position, the question arose was, did the Lord inspire this prophetic utterance? Or because of my position, was the prophetic utterance substantiated by the Lord? Meaning, this person, I believe, was teetering on believing that they could prophesy a thing and God would do it because of who they were. I'm saying I don't think you can substantiate that in the Scripture, and here is one passage that we would use to say, no, you don't, you don't come up with something and then God uh, substantiate you. We are spokesmen, and I'm not even claiming myself to be a prophet. I, I don't mean to associate myself with that in, in that sense. I'm just saying generally we don't do that. I mean anybody, pastor, prophet, evangelist, apostle. That's not how that— That's not how this works, friends. We are moved by the impulse of the Spirit. Uh, We are moved by the impulse of what Jesus is doing in the earth. All prophecy is a testimony of him. Uh, And so when we would speak, it would be out of fear and trembling that thus saith the Lord. We're not making up stuff and then saying, yeah, God's God's going to do that because I spoke it. No, no. That's not how this works. That's, that's not the position. At least that's, that's, that's not how I understand it. And here's this scripture here saying, no prophecy ever originated because some man willed it. It never came by human impulse. There's a lot of prophets that want to prophesy. I mean, there's a, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of these gifts. They want to just do the gift, but you, but you are not a, um, you're, you are not a manufacturing facility. You are not manufacturing prophecy. That would get you over into error very quickly. And anybody who's gotten off in in the prophetic movement or apostolic movement or any movement, it's because they started elevating their own impulse over that of the Lord's, right? And we just stamp this kind of stuff. And then it kind of becomes this crazy cycle. Well, well, they're a prophet, so they must be prophesying. Again, that's why I reference the Old Testament because these things are here. Remember what he said in the book of Corinthians? He said all the, all that stuff that happened in the Old Testament, they're what? They're examples. All that that's written is examples. We have these examples. We have Micaiah, say, as an example. We have a company of prophets that they all just prophesied together as an example that you and I can learn from and to study the principles and the consequences of these examples. That's why we have the word as written, the Aleph and the Tav, and every jot and tittle associated with that miraculous language that was going to contain, come on, it was going to be an anchor for us to navigate the end of the age. Peter even references that. It's being held up right now. The word of the Lord is holding this thing up. Everything that's written. Peter had this revelation that all this stuff is being held up. That's why you could trust that which is written because everything's being held up and he's not violating what he's already spoken and it's been written for us. There's something that's been recorded that is intentional because he's upholding all, all things. You and I have that as a reference, all right? So he goes on to say here, this is Second Peter chapter 1. You got to know this first. In your heart, you got to know this. In your heart, you got to know this. I'm telling you, I am, I am encouraging you to evaluate if you even believe this. You know, it's a slippery slope out here, friends. Do you know first? 
No prophecy is of private interpretation, meaning you can't take one passage of Scripture and singularly lay your own interpretation over that. All the writings of the prophets work together in synchrony. There's a harmony of thought. There is a harmony of interpretation because they all spoke on behalf of the Lord. And I'm reading articles all the time now. I mean, major thought leaders within certain movements are just telling people, they're telling their audience, hey, the Bible's full of contradictions. We just got to get used to it. But it, but, but it's okay because you have the Holy Ghost. That, whoa, 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 pull back on that. Whoa, pull the reins back on that. No, no, no. Uh-uh. It is not full of contradictions. Your ignorance of the harmony of thought is problematic. And this is why James chapter 3, verse 1 says, listen, not many of you should desire to be teachers because you're held to a stricter judgment and higher accountability. I mean, for somebody to get out there and just blanketly say, ah, it's okay, the Bible's full of contradictions, but you got the Holy Ghost. You know what he's saying? He's given you a free pass to be your own interpreter, to lay your own interpretation over the Scriptures. These kinds of teachings are encouraging you to have a private interpretation, and this is how we have all this crazy eschatology is because passages that were clearly written to a particular people in the Old Testament are being applied or associated with a, diff, a totally different people group that they were not intended for. And this is how you're jumping major hoops here. I mean, this is how you're getting like complete ages mixed up and mashed up. That's why people believe they're in the millennial reign right now. When there is entire prophetic passages dealing with the millennial reign and the reality of what that's going to look like, and friends, we're not even there now. I mean, it's it's somewhat laughable, but as much as it's laughable, it is it is sad, 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 because the reality of the doors that we open up to, to willfully indulging in, like Peter was saying here, uh, cunningly devised fables. He was warning us, listen, your hope of what's happening in the future has already been revealed to you. This is part of the advantage that we have as born-again believers to have the scriptures as we have it, it's an advantage to us. And he's saying, I'm telling you, this is what Peter said, he said, I'm telling you what they wrote is true. And don't you listen to anybody who's going to come along, and they're going to come. He's, he, he's telling them they're going to come. Chapter 2, he says, this is why you've you got to know in your heart. He said, I'm telling you, I saw Jesus transfigured. I saw Moses and Elijah there. Everything that was written in those prophets is true. And know this in your heart first. No interpretation, or excuse me, no prophecy is of any private interpretation. Chapter 2, he says, because these prophets are going to come, and they're going to have their own interpretation. But he said, it's not the Spirit, because the Spirit's not going to violate which is written. The Word is not going to contradict what the Spirit is saying. And he goes on here, he's saying, watch these false prophets. Watch, watch these false teachers. Now, everybody, you know, uh, yeah, I've been watching uh, Rick Renner just released a book, 750 pages on apostles and prophets. I ordered that book. I'm so interested in, in his historical perspective. Plus, he is, he is a Greek scholar. Now, a lot of people uh, espouse to be. I dig in around, you know, I dig in the Greek and play around in that, but I'm not a scholar. I mean, this guy's entire ministry has been based upon his scholarly work in the Greek language. I mean, he reads and writes Greek. Uh, and there's other people, but I'm saying he's one. 
that is, has done their due diligence to be an authority on the Greek language. And, um, but he was saying this. He said, look, clearly there's people that are claiming to be apostles and prophets that are not. But he said at the same time, we're not saying that everybody who claims to be one is doing it maliciously. It's just what does the Bible say? The Bible is the arbiter. And so anybody who's claiming to be something that we can't substantiate in the Bible, well, the resulting conclusion is they didn't use the Bible as their framework for deriving their definitions. Now, that may not be malicious, but I'm saying how long can you track that before you have unintended consequences? Uh, And then what are you basing the foundation upon this quote-unquote revelation if it's not the Bible? And so this is what Peter's saying. Listen, these guys are going to come. And we're not saying that every single one of them who comes in the name of apostle or prophet or pastor or evangelist, we're not saying that even if they claim those titles, we're not saying every single one of them is malicious in their intent. But Peter is explicitly warning some are. And the problem with those that are off, and maybe they don't know they're off, but something of the world has hooked them. And that hook has become an error. And he says that error will attempt to exploit you. This is what he goes on to say. He said, false prophets were among the people, even as there will be false teachers and prophets among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying, this is the ultimate here, um, even denying the Lord who brought them. And unfortunately, he says, they'll bring on themselves swift destruction. Again, even in 1 Corinthians 11, you can't, you can't play around in the name of the Lord and think that you know you can continue to do that before you open the door for the enemy to come in and destroy you and your ministry or whoever or whatever. He said, and many will follow. Excuse me, many will follow their destructive ways or these cunningly devised fables concerning the return of the Lord. He says, by covetousness they will exploit you. So he's cautioning them on these things, and I mean the whole. Let's see. Yeah, the rest of chapter 2, as you and I know it. But a big portion of, of Peter's letter here right before he left deals with, hey, know that this is going to happen, and you're going to have to navigate. But what's your basis for navigating this? What was written? What was written? Written where? Well, concerning his parousia, the letters. I mean, listen, Peter was with Jesus, and he's still substantiating the prophetic, the prophetic host, the prophetic graphe, that which was written in there is the answer, not in some cleverly devised fable from some modern day whosoever that thinks that they have a private interpretation. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, no. And this is how you get over to replacement theology, private interpretation. This is how you get over into replacement theology, private interpretation. Uh and that is dangerous. Um, listen to this by this guy named Scott Volk. Uh, he's the guy that leads together for Israel. In, in speaking of replacement theology, here's what he says. The existence of Israel is God's unequivocal answer to those who question whether he really keeps his promises. Replacement theology and all that theology that reads the church into the prophetic passages where it speaks about Israel, that's called replacement theology. And... Uh, how do you jump those kinds of hoops and still believe that God keeps his promises? And Peter is addressing this in chapter <clears throat> three, and I want to wrap, wrap this up. But he says, 
Beloved, this is 2 Peter 3.1. He says, Beloved, I write to you this second epistle, uh, second letter, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Again, he's referring to the writings of the Old Testament prophets. You and I know them as the Old Testament prophets. Peter didn't necessarily categorize them like that because they didn't have the scriptures like you and I have it in these divisions like you and I have it. But here he was, by the way, he's writing to born-again believers. He addresses them uh, who have uh, the precious faith uh, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's talking to the ecclesia. He's talking to the born-again believer, and he's drawing our attention to the guiding light, the prophetic writings that lay out the plan that Jesus is following. If you get out here in the future and you wonder what's going on, you can refer back to the writings. Do you hear me emphasizing that? Because there are going to be all these cunningly devised fables, these crafty stories, and they all have some interpretation concerning Jesus' return. What causes it? What doesn't cause it? What's required? What's not required? What's happening to this group? What's happening to that group? You know, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the Bible, as God sees it, three groups of people, the Jews, the nations, and the church. And he's telling us, listen, you can look, look back here, and you're going to know what Jesus is going to do. And you're going to know, you're going to have an idea. You're going to have um, some understanding. Now, Paul's revelation brought, whoa, tremendous revelation of what judgment and future awaits the church. But that doesn't contradict what he already spoke the prophets, and that's what he's saying. He said, be mindful of those words, friends. By the way, Peter, New Testament, come on, born again apostle. He said, be mindful of those words that the, that the prophets wrote. And he says, of the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So be mindful what Peter's saying. Here's an apostle of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, be mindful of the writings of the prophets. So any apostle or prophet or teacher or pastor that is contradicting that is off. It's just, I mean, that's just all there is to it. I mean, this is one of the foundational apostles, an apostle of the Lamb, and he's saying, don't forget what the prophets wrote because there's a guiding light in them. He said, know this first, scoffers will come in these last days walking according to their own lusts. And they'll even say this, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world then that existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, are preserved by the same word. He's saying, listen, what the prophets wrote, this, this age, this world, is being preserved until everything they said comes to pass. It's being preserved. And uh, it's going to happen exactly as they have foretold. He says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. But he's not slack concerning his promises. Some consider slackness. Then he goes on down here, and he says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever.
Stay steadfast, my friends. What they said, we have the Bible, and there's all kinds of cleverly devised fables that try to answer why this or that. But come on, one of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, stay steady, friends. Remember, a day is as a thousand years. So this may creep out here. You may live your whole life and not yet see the fulfillment of these scriptures. But he says, take no worry about that. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, don't worry about that. In the meantime, stay steady and grow in grace and in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Should the full fulfillment of that which the prophets have written not come about in your lifetime, don't don't worry a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. Of course, he was referencing Hosea, by the way, who said, uh, let me get it here. What did Hosea say? Right here, I got it written down. Do, do, do. Hosea, where are you? Pop, pop, pop. Oh, let's see. Where's that? Hosea. It's in my notes. Hosea 6. Again, Peter was saying, you know. He also referenced Paul's writings. But he said, you've been educated in, in these things. You know exactly. And in particularly, he was speaking to the Jewish, uh, those born-again believers that were Jews, okay, his Jewish audience. He said, from your childhood, basically, you've been educated in these writings. And he said, then you also have heard what Paul said. Again, he's saying, look, between Paul's writings, Paul's letters, and what has already been written, plus his own letters, writing to them, reminding them, he's saying, man, it, it is sure. Oh, it is sure. So don't worry. Be steadfast. And then he quotes Hosea because they would have intimately known about Hosea. Hosea 6.2, after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, he's encouraging his Jewish audience. Everything will be as it has said. By the way, Peter didn't say this in his letter. This is Justin here, but I'm sure Paul uh, and Peter and different you know ministers of the New Testament, I'm sure they encouraged one another. Hey, the church, by the way, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is actually part of the revelation Paul had to the Gentiles about what God was going to do with the Jewish people and his covenants with them. But I'm sure Peter said, hey, guys, I want you to know uh, that uh, God has a, has a great plan here, and he's going to do it exactly as he said it to the people that he said it to. And he said the church hasn't replaced all those prophecies. Uh, we have our place in it. Praise God, it's tremendous. All right, I'm going to close there. Hope you got something out of that. Stay steady, friends. Stay with the word, friends. That's our safe place. Where's my outro music? Here it goes. That's our safe place. Go back to the word is written. It's miraculous. There's a guiding light in it. Hey, listen, if we can help you in any way, it would be our honor to do so. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. You can reach out to us via email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv, or call us, 870-741-9099. It would be our honor to pray with you and agree 
with you and believe God to do something miraculous in your life. He's still in the miracle business, friends. Hallelujah. Well, this has been the Grace for This City podcast. We're so thrilled that you join us today. We'll be right back here next week. Invite somebody. Share the podcast with somebody that you love. Hallelujah. And until next time, my friends, be blessed.